Welcome back to the Don't Split Up Horror Podcast. Uh, J.R. Forrestero is here. And if you listen to our last pair of interviews on the Christmas tapes, you know that the podcast is not officially back yet. However, we are working on bringing it back. And in the meantime, I'm bringing you a series of interviews that I have done with various creators around the internet. So I want to talk to you today about a movie called uh, The Death of April which is a terrific uh, movie. It is found footage and it is and uh, it is a very interesting film that takes advantage of its low budget nature. So th- uh, the interview that I have uh, today is with writer and director Ruben Rodriguez. And one of the things I think is interesting about this film is that it was actually completed back in 2012, but it wasn't released until this year. And so, uh, what I'm sure felt really fresh and new in 2012 actually now feels, uh, I don't want to say derivative, that's the wrong word for it, but is definitely something that we feel like we've seen before, which uh, Ruben actually mentions in the interview. And so uh, also, of course, because internet technology was in a very different state back then, uh, the the film I was going to say recaptures that, but it captured that the first time. It's just, again, it, it has a, a dated feel, not, not in a bad way, but in a way that it is definitely a film of its time and, and now feels, because it seems to be a new movie, uh, feels as though it is uh, looking backwards. So uh, really terrific central performances here from uh, the, the main actor, Megan Mullen. And uh, again, it was really fun to talk with Ruben about how this film came to be, about what it was like watching these other movies recreate what he had done but had not been shown, uh, and just kind of hear a little bit about uh, the process that he went through working with the actors to get this really authentic sort of documentary feel, a true crime kind of a feel. So I think you'll really enjoy my conversation with Ruben. We have one more uh, one more interview coming your way. And again, stay tuned as we are working on getting the podcast back up and going. But uh, thanks for checking these out. And I hope you have as much fun as I did. We are here with director of The Death of April, Ruben Rodriguez. Ruben, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you on. Thank you very much. So uh, this, this is a found footage movie. And I'm curious at what point in the writing of this movie was it clear it was going to be found footage was it like i want to make a found footage movie let me find the story or i have an idea for this story you know what this needs to be found footage or how did how did that come about yeah the story kind of evolved it's a process but um originally when the film was first kind of conceived of like when i came up with the idea for the death of april it was a kind of like just um a video blog situation it was just strictly going to be like us right now having this conversation where you see people on a computer screen. And this is before Unfriended. Years Right, years way before. before. Yeah. Before, yeah, before Unfriended or the movie Host. I came up with this idea and I pitched it to people and they were like, that's going to be boring. I don't think anybody wants to see a film about 
people talking on a computer screen would be weird. I swear to God, that's what happened. And I was like, yeah, but it's going to have ghostly, ghost kind of aspects to it. They were like, no, no, that's kind of be kind of weird. It's going to be weird. So the movie evolved from it being that to then me going, how can I change this film? So it's kind of more like a movie, what people consider a movie. And then I was like, well, I like true crime. Let's put documentary stuff into it. Because at the time I had a mentor who was big on documentaries. He actually was doing a bunch of projects for the PBS public broadcasting. And so I learned the whole process of doing the interviews and going about how to set the, the location up for an interview. So I said, well, I know how to do all this stuff. So we could probably shoot half the film or more than half the film like a documentary and then shoot the computer like aspects from the original idea and tie that in. And so when I came to came when I spoke to some of my investors who basically had said no before, they kind of liked that idea a little better, even though they still didn't see how that was gonna be a horror film. But then I was like, it's not really a horror film, and I don't want to sell it as a horror film. It's more a true crime with a supernatural twist to it. It's like you're going in to see a documentary, but then at the end you get kind of like something happens and kind of fully you were you weren't expecting this kind of outcome at the end of the film. And that was the whole point of it. Because that when my when the investors first saw it, they were like, wait, it's not a horror film. And I'm like, you read the script, there was no Michael Myers hiding behind a wall, jumping out at people. This is strictly pretty much like you're watching this whole story. Kind of like anybody who likes true crime, like likes those films, would know what this is about. Kind of like you're watching these. There's a true crime documentary kind of teases something happened, but we're not going to know what happened to the end. And so that's what we were trying to do with the death of April. Kind of like tease the family members talking about this person. And then you know that something happened, but we're not privy to this knowledge yet. So it's like, as you start watching it, you start learning what, what takes place in the film, which is more about a person's mental state and how somebody could change or snap kind of deal. And so that was the whole point with the death of April. It originally was more of a ghost story. Originally it was, like I said, it was like an unfriended or a host um, kind of film where it was like, we're gonna basically have all these actors and they're gonna be on screen and we're just gonna record the screen and whatever and try to direct it that way. Because at the time that was the technology, like people were doing that stuff and we were like, we could do a film like that. And nobody's done a film like that. And everybody, I think it's one of those things when you try to do something that nobody's done before, everybody goes, that's not gonna work. That's not gonna work. And to this day, I'm like, I was just having a conversation a few minutes ago with someone and they brought that up too. And I was like, this concept is the original Unfriended and the original um, host film. Cause they're both kind of the same thing with like a ghost kind of quality with something happening to somebody. And we did the same thing, but this was like a long time ago. When the script was written, it was like 2010 or something like that. So it was, you could say it was a little bit ahead of its time. And that's what we Absolutely. had to kind of modify it. Yeah. We, had to, we had to modify it. And then I just incorporated something I love, which is true crime into it. And that might've taken away a little bit more of the ghost thing, but it made it something I like because it's different too. It's a true crime film with a, supernatural twist kind of like an unsolved mysteries and i love yeah. those so i enjoyed the film well and i wondered uh too then 
uh, I'm going to try to do this without spoilers, but if we get into spoilers, I'll just put a spoiler tag and that's fine. Okay. Uh, so with the, with the ending, I feel like the ending worked the way it did because of the, like you were saying, because of the true crime, true crime framework. Uh, mm-hmm. So did you have a, a, how different was the ending when it was just a video blog kind of framework or was it basically that from the beginning? It was always that from, oh, it was okay. that story. Okay. Because it was like, oh, I, yeah, I, can't, I was about to give it away. <laughs> I was about to give it away. Because the original story idea is kind of like this concept. Because this concept came about from me hearing a friend who moved to Florida. And she had a neighbor who was this young college girl who found out that somebody had died in that apartment. And she started doing research. She pulled a Scooby-Doo where she was trying to find out, like, what happened? Who's this person? All this stuff. And then when I heard that story, I was like, wow, this will be an interesting movie. And that's when I started coming up with this idea. And then, which I don't want to spoil this, when I came up to where I lived, there was another situation where a young person did something to somebody and they covered it up. And I was like, wow, that'll be, if I mush those two into one story, It'll be cool because it's the whole thing about somebody's mental state and how they can make themselves believe something. It didn't happen. So that's what I really wanted to do. Well, and I think that was another thing that I pegged pretty early on in the film uh, was that I don't, at least for me as a viewer, I did not feel like there was a clear answer that the film gave Mm -hmm. to whether this was something that she was truly experiencing yeah or whether it was either something she was manufacturing or like you said kind of this degradation of her mental state uh yeah in a way that i, I found again you, really yeah, i found it really effective yeah because if you the brother in the film he's constantly saying that this is bs and then her friend too when she goes to visit her in the movie when they play with the ouija board he's like that's bs you move you're it. moving it yeah Right. So it's like it kind of like put hints throughout the whole thing, like, yeah, you know, something else is going on here. And that's what the end is about. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious uh, if you were to move into a place and, and find out that it had previously been inhabited by someone who died there, would you Scooby do it or would you leave it alone? Just I wouldn't even live there. I'm, I'm, I'm a chicken. <laughs> Just move out of I'm a guy. I love horror films. And I think I talked to people about this because when I was a little kid, I was petrified a horror movie when a trailer would come on like a like i hated george romero's films not because they were horrible <laughs> because they scared the shit out of me yeah <laughs> the other day trailer came on television and i used to cover my eyes my younger brother would look at me like i was the like a punk my little brother was like, what's wrong with you it's a movie so i got uh... it was more like therapy like i would watch them to understand how they were made so i wouldn't be scared of them but don't get me wrong. If you come to my house at night, the lights are on. There's a light on somewhere. Yeah, in my of house. course, you got to be safe I'm that way. Right? I'm a big <laughs> chick. Uh, you know, we live. We, my wife and I, lived when we lived in Ohio in a house that we're like relatively certain was haunted, but the ghosts never did anything more than mess with the lights. So we were like, well, you know, like seems pretty harmless. Um, and we made it out just fine. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I've seen enough. I've seen enough movies. And those documentaries where it's like, don't go looking into that stuff because it's going to grow, become something worse. It's like, right, oh, just... it wasn't a ghost. It's a demon. Oh, and there seems to be, there were sacrifices in the basement of this house. Oh, wonderful. 
I didn't need to know any of that crap. <laughs> that's that's another thing I thought was interesting about this particular film, which um, at least flirts with the exorcism genre, right? It's at least at least kind of in the same uh, in the same zip code. Uh, and you did not bring in any, uh, you know, religious professionals, right? Yeah. Uh, Megan doesn't bring in a, a priest or her brother doesn't like, you know, call a buddy in seminary or something like that. You know, you have yeah. a, you have a girlfriend whose grandma was into something spooky and that's, yeah. that's the closest you get. Was that how, how much of a conscious choice was that? Or how much of that was just kind of following the story? Cause I'm Latin, I'm Spanish. So that's what we would do. Yeah, if you know anybody from New York or any from the, the, the Spanish, I don't want to say anything that somebody will get offended and be like, "That's not what we do." From my family point of view, if something bad happens, somebody will whoop out some holy water that they had themselves, or get some leaves and start smacking you with them. It was no like, let's call a priest. It was like, oh, we're gonna call my aunt and she's coming over to take care of this problem. That's how we would do it. I love that. So when I wrote the story, that's kind of like what I thought about, like more like a Santaria thing or somebody who's into the Botanica stuff, which are like when they saw those holy statues. So I was like, that's where my angle went towards because that's how I think. It's like, if something were haunting this house right now, I'd call my mom. My mom be like, okay, I got somebody for you. Don't be there by five o'clock. Don't worry. It's no priest coming. It'll be somebody right. else with a bunch of stuff that they'll hang around my house. That'll get rid of whatever spirit is in the house. Right. But even even in this case, I loved that the the, uh, the woman who came over, Kim, I think was her name in the film. Yeah. Um, you know, she's not an expert. She and she no. tells them that, right? She literally says, uh, I'm just kind of doing what my grandma did. And even in the interview part, she's like, Yeah, and I just kind of hope nothing weird would happen. And I love <laughs> I love like the uh, maybe it's like the millennial arrogance of that of like the mm -hmm. we don't need an expert yeah we can just kind of DIY this you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was, that was the whole point I hang out with so many people who would do that like and I'm I'm the person who's the opposite don't mess with it it's like right ignorance is bliss do not yeah the lights just turned off don't worry about it they'll come back on don't don't go looking into trouble because you're gonna find trouble but young people I have a bunch of friends who are like hey, we could do this. Get the Ouija board out. I'm like, dude, don't do nothing. Leave it alone. <laughs> don't worry about it. We can handle it. I'm like, uh, no, leave it alone. Right. Uh, so I just kind of have one last question. Uh, one of the things that struck me pretty early in the film was how, um, let, me, let me try to explain what I mean by this, how believable the interview subjects were. I think a lot of times in mockumentary style stuff the interviewees sound a little bit too polished like mm -hmm. you can just you can tell that they've memorized lines that are reciting lines and mm -hmm. i think most humans particularly those who are not trained in any kind of stagecraft or public speaking when they're on camera they don't talk like that right they yeah. they kind of chase rabbit trails and they um and ah and circle back on themselves and i noticed uh so much so much of that in the movie that i all i it almost felt to me like you were letting the actors improv um and i'm just curious like how much of that was in the script like how did you how did you direct them because it 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 made the whole thing feel so believable in a great yeah. way all right there was a script to it but how we put pretty much the way this was done because just going back like my roots come from working in documentaries because my mentor his name is ray blanco he passed away a couple of years ago, but he did a lot of documentaries and I kind of like followed him, how he, he would do them. And they would have 
this is pre-reality. So they would have a layout. It was an outline. He would have a script himself, but he wouldn't make his actors or not his actors, the people he would interview, like be privy to what he wanted, but he knew the questions to ask them. So with the actors, I did the same thing. They knew what the story was. They knew what they were supposed to say, but then we would take these left turns or right turns. I would sit down with them and be like, okay, that's great. You got that. All right, but what if your daughter did this? And they were like, huh? What, what what do you mean? And I like just wing it, just wing it. What if your daughter did this? What 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 would happen? And then they started answering as if they were the parents or as if they were the brother. So they had to pull that out, and it became more organic. Like they were actually giving these answers as if this was a true situation. Yeah, sure. And that's what we wanted, and unfortunately, like it made the process longer. Like the finished process for Death of April, the finished film, wound up being like three hours long. The actual assembly that we had so much so much content and there's people that we had to cut out of the film that we were always kind of driving the point that something is off about somebody so and we were like we're giving it away too quickly we had to take these people we interviewed out of the film but it was like we got like we just did it like it was a regular documentary it was like the actors were like huh it's like well, but but that's not here and i'm like don't worry about it just go with it you're still with it what, what if this happened? What if you found out that she did this? And they would answer. And then we had all that footage of them doing that. So it was funny that you said that we did. We use, we actually used more of the stuff that they kind of improvised than the actual scripted stuff because it felt more real. Because they were like stumbling. And you could see them thinking. Like a regular person who's doing an interview would think about the question before they give you an answer. And then the answer is never polished. You know what I mean? So it was like, that's how we wanted it to work. And it kind of made me happy. But that's the thing, too, that always scares me with viewers, especially nowadays with horror films, because everything is super polished. And again, this isn't a horror film, but it's like people have these expectations that something should look a certain way. And when it's like, doesn't look that way, they're like, oh, whatever. It's not, it's not what we expected. And that's what I want to kind of like, kind of shine a light on. It's, a, it's more of a true crime story story with a supernatural twist and it's kind of trying to capture the feel of capture the feel of an actual documentary and not something that you would see like one of those found footage devil movies that normally come out where everybody's like you know they have you know they come out every other couple of months so you wanted to do something different a little bit different well, I would say mission success. Um, it's it's a really fun little movie. And again, I thought the performances you got out of the actors were just terrific. I mean, it, it felt really credible uh, in a great way, in a way that really pulled me into the film. So congratulations. Thank you. All right, folks, this has been our interview with direct writer-director Ruben Rodriguez. The film is The Death of April, and it is streaming on Video On Demand starting December 9th. So check it out. Uh, Ruben, thanks again for joining us. It's been an honor to have you on. Thank you very much.